as we turn now to study God's word together, let us pause in prayer. Father, may we come with hearts eager to hear your message, lives prepared to respond in obedience, spirits that need your directing and enlivening. Lord, we come to you and we pray that as we think about these words, they would touch our hearts and change us evermore into the likeness of Jesus Christ, the one in whose name we pray. Amen. This morning in our study of Galatians, Paul's letter to the churches in that part of Asia Minor, we've reached what is a bear hunt passage. You know the bear hunt story? We're going on a bear hunt. We're going to catch a big one. And on that journey, the little family encounter many different obstacles. And each one is greeted with the refrain. We can't go over it. We can't go under it. Oh no, we've got to go through it. Well, this is an oh no, we've got to go through it passage. One that I've been tempted to skip past if it were not that I'm committed to a systematic exposition of the scriptures. This is in part why I do it, so that I don't chicken out when we come to difficult texts such as this one. Paul, in the portion that he's all read for us, makes the bold assumption that his readers know a great deal about the Old Testament and the book of Genesis in particular. And indeed, they have some working knowledge of rabbinic allegorical argument techniques. Perhaps you, like me, slept through that class. Personally, as we come to consider this passage, I prefer the Sesame Street approach. That this passage is brought to you by the number two. Paul is going to explain that there are two mothers, Hagar or Sarah, two sons, Ishmael or Isaac, two covenants, the covenant of works or the covenant of grace, two cities, the earthly Jerusalem or the heavenly Jerusalem, two mountains, Sinai or Zion, and two outcomes, slavery or freedom. And Paul is saying these are in two columns and you are in one column or the other. And only one of these brings you into a right relationship with God. And all of this to reach the conclusion that not all of Abraham's children are heaven bound, but only those of whom we read in verse 31 that are not children of the slave, but of the free woman. So it's so very important for each one of us to know where we are in this picture. That you know in which column you stand. In recent weeks we've been thinking about our identity as redeemed heirs of the one we can call Abba, our Heavenly Father. However, the big question that Paul is asking in this passage is, who is your mother? Whose child are you, Hagar's or Sarah? Are you slave or are you free? In his appeal to the Galatians to resist the imposition of the law and Jewish rituals as advocated by the Judaizers, Paul has been engaged in a lengthy 
carefully reasoned argument. That's the majority of the opening four chapters. Then last week we noted how he opened his heart to his friends in a passionate appeal. And now as he begins to conclude his uh, discussion of these matters and move towards the more practical section and how we are to apply this teaching, Paul paints for them a, a word picture using a biblical illustration. And this he uses to support his case. Verse 21. Tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? Paul is asking if these Judaizers are coming alongside you and telling you that you must apply the teachings of Torah, the, the first five books of the Old Testament, do you not realize that those five books teach exactly the same message that I've been trying to teach you? And if you really listen to what Torah says, you will reach the same conclusion as me, that righteousness only comes by faith and not by works. Paul's technique is similar to that of Jesus, who used to say when he was confronted by the Pharisees, those experts of the law who challenged him, we find, for example, in, in Matthew chapter 12 and verse 3, he said to them, Have you not read what David did when he was hungry and those who were with him? Or that same little phrase is, is found just a little bit later in Matthew chapter 12, verse 5. Or have you not read the law, how on the Sabbath the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are guiltless? What a thing to say to those who are supposedly experts. Have you not read the book you're supposed to know so well? And Paul here takes the Galatians back to the story of Abraham. As I was saying to the boys and girls, God makes this amazing covenant promise to Abraham that his descendants would be as numerous as the stars in the night sky. Let me read again Genesis 15, 5 and 6. They brought him outside and said, look toward the heaven and number the stars if you're able to number them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. And Abraham believed the Lord. And he counted it to him as for righteousness. There is only one source of justification. There is only one way to be found righteous before God. Question 33 of the Shorter Catechism asks, what is justification? And answers that justification is an act of God's free grace wherein he pardons all our sins and accepts us as righteous in his sight only for the righteousness of Christ imputed to us and received by faith alone. Abraham was justified as he had God's great gift of righteousness credited to his account. All because and only because he believed. It was through faith that his standing before God was transformed. But there was a problem. Abraham and his wife Sarah were very old. Well past the age for having children. And the clock was ticking and there was no sign of God's promised child coming into the world. 
It was close on 30 years that Abraham and Sarah were required to wait for God to fulfill the promise and to give them a son. So as they waited, frustrated, disappointed, they made a terrible decision. You can read the story in Genesis 16. They convinced themselves that God, if he was to keep his promise, needed a helping hand. After all, everyone knows that God helps those who help themselves. That's not from the Bible, that's Aesop's fables. The message of the gospel is the very opposite of that, that God helps the helpless. God helps those who understand that they cannot help themselves. But Abraham and Sarah had forgotten this. And through the surrogacy of their Egyptian slave girl, Hagar, a son called Ishmael was born to Abraham. Problem solved. Now the promised descendants, as numerous as the stars, can be born. But God explains that this was not his plan. It was not problem solved, but rather massive problem created, a problem that the world has been dealing with for now for three and a half millennia. Abraham was living by works of the flesh and not trusting it with what was won through faith. Now Paul's purpose in sharing this story is not that we would sit in judgment upon Abraham, but rather that we be warned and come to understand that this is the default position for every heart. We all naturally digress towards a performance attitude before God. And we engage in this pursuit of earned righteousness. Even though we know, we've studied together, the truth of Galatians 2.16, which tells us that by works of the law, no one will be justified. Paul further spells this out in verses 24 and 25 of our passage. He explains, these women are two covenants. That is, Sarah equates to the covenant of grace. Hagar equates to the covenant of works. Now Paul will expand on the second of these. One is from, from Mount Sinai, bearing children for slavery. She is Hagar. Now Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. Paul is explaining that Hagar symbolizes adherence to the law as a means to pursue salvation. Hence, the reference to Mount Sinai where the law was first given to Moses and to the city of Jerusalem where the temple and the sacrificial system are based. But, as we've noted repeatedly, the law is designed to diagnose our heart's condition, not to cure it. And the sacrificial system is designed to point us to the perfect Lamb of God, the shedding of whose blood once and for all would be the atonement for sin. You know, chapter 53 of the prophecy of Isaiah, which gives us a, a beautiful foretelling of the events of Calvary 2,000 years ago. And that lovely chapter concludes with these words, Isaiah 53 verse 12. He poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressor. 
the hope for sinners, for transgressors, is neither law adherence nor the sacrificial system, but alone faith in the one who poured out his soul to death. Then, in our text, Paul references the very next verse in the prophecy of Isaiah, Isaiah 54, verse 1, which says, Sing, O barren one, who did not bear, break forth into singing and cry aloud, you who have not been in labor. For the children of the desolate one will be more than the children of her who is married, says the Lord. But what does that mean? Paul and Isaiah and the whole of the scriptures are trying to tell us that the place where God excels, the place where hope is to be found, is the place of darkness, of desolation and of death. This is how God works. This is his modus operandi. Genesis chapter 1 verses 2 and 3. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. Darkness was over the face of the deep, but then God spoke and there was light. In Isaiah 54, the prophet speaks of a time of desolation when God's people would be swept away from Jerusalem and into exile, their city destroyed. But out of desolation comes liberation, restoration and renewal. And Easter Sunday, in that place of death, fearful followers of Jesus make their way to anoint his corpse. When the great good news is declared, why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but he has risen. Luke 4, 5 and 6. Luke 24, verses 5 and 6. This is how God works. This is where he excels. Light out of darkness. Liberation out of desolation. Life out of death. The greater the dilemma, the greater the glory that redounds to God. And there are some things we just need to know. That God will do what he promises. And God works best when it doesn't seem possible. So what then is the application of this difficult passage? Well, let me share three things with you. Firstly, God's former covenant promises still are true today. Just as for Abraham, righteousness is still gifted to those who believe in Jesus Christ. It is by grace that you can be saved through faith. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. This is true. God's former covenant promises are still true today. Secondly, God's favoured children are free, not slaves. In the incident with Ishmael, Abraham acted in faith, but his faith was placed in himself in the flesh and what he could achieve and not in God. And that got him into a terrible mess and that choice always will. Elsewhere, Paul writes in Romans 8, chapter 8, verses 13 to 15, 
For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but have received the spirit of adoption of sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. When we feel the inward pull of the flesh to do things, to earn briny points with God, to earn our righteousness, we must resist firmly. That way always leads to slavery and death. We must always look to what Jesus has done and not what we can do. God's favourite children are free and not slaves. Thirdly, God's free community will always be opposed by the religious and self-righteous. Legend has it that when Ishmael grew, he loved to practice with his bow and arrows. And one day during that target practice, some of those arrows found themselves being directed towards his younger brother. Some of you who grew up with older brothers don't find that at all difficult to believe. Ishmael had to go. His presence in the family was putting Isaac's life in danger. And so it will always be that those who pursue works will always threaten grace. Legalists will always pursue and persecute the liberated. There must be a, a zero tolerance policy towards those who advocate works righteousness. And when we hear people tell us all the things we have to do to be real Christians, we must set our hearts firmly to refuse to listen to their words. Son or slave, child of Sarah or Hagar, saved by faith or by works. Moving into chapter 5, we will learn that we obey not because we need to, but because we want to. We obey not because we're good, but because Christ, the one who is perfect in his obedience, is being formed in us. See verse 19. But for now, let me remind you that not all Abraham's children are heaven bound son but by grace through faith you can be as john newton wrote in his great hymn glorious things of thee are spoken in that concluding verse savior if of zion city i through grace a member am let the world deride or pity i will glory in thy name Fading is the worldling's pleasure, all his boasted pomp and show, solid joys and lasting treasure, none but Zion's children know. Let's pray together. Father, help us to apply this truth. May we understand where we are, children of Sarah, not of Hagar. Children who are free, set free by the finished work of Jesus Christ upon the cross. Not still scrambling around, slaves to sin, trying to obtain righteousness through the law. Lord, may we find that faith in you liberates our hearts to soar. To know ourselves to be wonderfully blessed as your children. Knowing that there is nothing that now can separate us from the love that you have 
afforded to us in Christ your Son. Forgive us, Lord, for our pathetic attempts at uh, works righteousness. Forgive us, Lord, for thinking that the very good things that we do could somehow make us worthy of your love. Rather, may we delight in what Jesus has done, be amazed at the cross, and give thanks for him day by day that he loved us so much that he gave himself for us, that all who would believe in him would not die but live, live a life that is beyond comparison, hoping in Christ, walking with him until we see him face to face. Amen.